Hello and welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. Remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just some blank sounding snores talking about 80s music. So give us a break. Yeah. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Joe. Welcome to you. We are recording at night once again. I'll come over at night. Night. (laughs) Carrie, I have to apologize. I'll try to get the energy up, but I just watched the finale of And Just Like That. So I'm a little bit sad. You're sad because it's over or because something happened in the show that was sad? Both. And the crazy thing to me is there's this little subplot where Carrie thinks Big has haunted a lamp and turning it on and off. (laughs) And then we just had this technical snafu where my speakers were muted for some reason, right? So now I think he's out for me. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, Joe, get yourself together. I guess that's all I can say. (laughs) Let me splash some cold water in my face. Okay, so welcome to any new listeners, and hello to our loyal listeners. We found some in Romulus, Michigan, Leewood, Kansas, and Hackney, England. Hello to all those folks. Please keep up with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash HRT80S, or our Twitter at HRT80S. Joe, we have a couple of very quick tidbits because Mm -hmm. we have got some very interesting stuff to cover. But first... Let's say that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees for this year were announced, but we are going to save that for next week because that will take some time to digest and discuss. And we've got too much on our plate this week, but make sure that you're voting for your favorites on the ballot every day at vote.rockhall.com. Joe, have you been voting? I have not been voting. And it's just like I told you when the nominees came out earlier this week, right? I said, mm-hmm. I feel like we just got done with this. Yes. And it's back again. I guess it's going to be drawn out for the whole year, <laughs> every year, right? Yeah, I haven't looked That's at the timeline works. yet. I don't know how long we have to vote. But I did go to vote for the first time today. And I will let you know, spoiler alert, Joe, I guess, <laughs> for you, <laughs> Pat Benatar is in the lead right now on the fan ballot. So that's good. That's good to know. Because, yeah, she's the one we can discuss this week. She's been on it before, and maybe this will be her year. I would love to see it. Yep. She's got my full support. And then one quick tidbit that I put in here, just because I was struck by reading these two items like back to back. Paramount Plus, one of the 10 million streaming services that now (laughs) exist, they are doing television series of both Urban Cowboy and Flashdance. So it's two very interesting. big yeah, music movies of the 80s. You know what? I don't really particularly care about the stories for either of those. You know what? I haven't seen either of those movies. Have you seen? You've never seen Flashdance? No, I haven't. Wow, that's surprising <laughs> to me because you had cable as a child. Now, Carrie, I didn't. So I didn't see Flashdance until I think it was two or three years ago with my friend Katie. Okay. You know, like we talked about with Cobra Kai, I think it's fun. I wonder if these are going to be set in the 80s or they're going to be set in the current times. But it's fun when things are set in the 80s and then to see what music, you know, shows choose and all that. And they both had such big soundtracks that I am curious, uh, just like you probably, to see how that plays out in these reboots or whatever the hell it is they're doing. Maybe it's going to be a reality show. Who knows, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you never do know. (laughs) But it would be fun to see some covers or updates of these songs. Yes, that's fun. Yep. So you have any idea on when they're going to premiere? 
No, I do not. They were both just announced. Maybe you will keep forgetting to cancel your month (laughs) trial, and maybe you'll have Paramount Plus when they premiere. I don't know, man. I got to streamline too many streaming services going on over here. All right. Well, you didn't need streaming to watch the Janet documentary. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) (laughs) It was on Real Live Cable, Lifetime, and A&E. We've talked about it for weeks. We both watched it. Joe, give me your big picture review. Okay. So shout out to Michael Depland, friend of the podcast and friend. He made fun of me because we had texted. We had a group text about it. And after I made fun of people who would not have A&E or Lifetime, I discovered on Friday night when it premiered, I didn't have either of those channels. <laughs> and I had to do some wheeling and dealing to get a new streaming service added. So I got a week trial and canceled it successfully. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah, you're ahead of me. I was able to complete the two-part miniseries by Sunday night and... My assessment in general, I will say that I was very pleased by what I saw. I know a lot of the reviews and a lot of the comments online were, she didn't share enough. Mm -hmm. But I was very happy with what I was given, since she's such a very private person anyway, that just the old footage that she had was enough to keep me happy. Yeah. I think I am in the same place as you, and you and I talked about this when it was first announced, that this is her production. Like, she's a producer on it. You know, this is told from her point of view. She presumably had creative control. So we were never going to get the unvarnished story. There was always going to be some kind of spin. Nor were we expecting it, No, yeah. But I do think she shared more than I thought she would. And like you're saying, I think ultimately I'm disappointed at the amount that we got, but whatever amount we got was enough. That doesn't make sense. I'm saying I'm disappointed, but like she didn't have to give us anything. So anything that she was willing to give, I was interested in. And there was tons of stuff. I mean, it was like private videos that her husband shot of her over the course of their relationship and family, you know, videos and things like that. So I appreciate everything that she gave us in a perfect world, like someone else to come in and have access to that footage and put together a documentary about Janet Jackson. But I guess this is what we got. And that's what we have to be happy with. The Renee Elizondo footage was bountiful. There was a ton. He was a little annoying. Well, yeah. And that raised a lot of questions for me because, as you learned in the documentary, they didn't have a harmonious divorce. They, I think they had a prenup. And so then when they were actually going through a divorce, he sued and wanted more money. And that because he said he was a part of yes. the process and the yeah. creative process. And that was not touched on, right? They said very quickly that they came to some settlement or something. But then I was thinking, well, did she get this footage in the divorce? Like, did she say, <laughs> yeah, turn over everything you were shooting of me for 10 years and then... And I'll give you $10 million. Oh, she got screwed on that one. <laughs> there was an article on Vulture, a review by Jen Cheney, which captured a lot of my thoughts perfectly. Like, I was thinking these things and then I read this article and I'm like, hmm, we're on the same wavelength, Jen <laughs> Cheney. This is what she said about it, okay? She said it was constantly rushing through major turning points in Jackson's life, often with a somewhat gossipy bent without scratching too far beneath the surface of any of them. 
And she also said she has every right to tell solely the parts of her story she wants to share in whatever way she sees fit, but she deserves a docuseries worthy of all that and truly worthy of her because this one isn't quite it. You could tell that this documentary was specifically made to rebut all of the allegations that have been made about her family over the years. And I wish that this documentary was about Janet and her creative process. And there was too little of that. Like we saw parts of her making control, parts of her making rhythm nation. But beyond that, like, I don't know what inspires her as an artist. I don't know how she writes. I don't know what her visions are for her career or what the collaboration process yeah. is like. I mean, I know there's a lot of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis work that she is, she's been a part of, mm-hmm. but I know there were other people, and I know that the ideas couldn't have all just been yeah. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's. So what inspired it, like you said? And what I would say on top of that is, I was thinking about the parts that interested me the most, and it was about the songs and the creation. Yes. And the tour and the dancing. And it made me think about, I don't know if this is, it's probably bad on my part, but when I read an article about a musician, um, and I've always been this way, I will read the whole article, but my eyes instantly are drawn to the parts of the text that are italicized or have (laughs) quotation marks, because that's going to be stuff that they're discussing, the music or the Mm -hmm. albums. And that's what I want to know more about. And I feel like that part was rushed, and it was more about the salacious details. I get it. That's what people want, or Mm -hmm. that's what she thinks they want. But for you and I, and we discuss 80s music in depth every week and Mm -hmm. all week long, I wanted more of the studio. I wanted more of her writing. And there was some of that, but I needed, I wanted more. Mm -hmm. You know, there was this common theme. I don't want to diminish her. What I took away from it is that she was controlled by men a lot of her life. And this big story about her stepping out from under her father's control when she made the album Control. But then you start to see that really she just replaced him with Renee. Mm -hmm. And James. Yes. Yeah, true. You're right. Yep. I totally forgot about him. Yep. Her first husband, James DeBarge, and then Renee Elizondo. This is the story she's telling. And that's what I'm taking away from it. And I'm kind of like... She could have spoken more about that and been more reflective on it. Her interviews were just her talking about what happened, but not ever really applying retrospect to it. It was just strange to me that she did have so much control, but I still came away from it thinking that she wasn't ever in control of her life. And I wanted her to talk more about that or acknowledge it. I see a burning question coming up here in the outline. The one about the Toto song? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so it was so bizarre to me because there's no music in there except for Janet's music. And maybe I just didn't notice. But the song that I noticed was this Toto song that was playing over this footage that Renee was taking of her. And I rewound it a couple times trying to figure out. Did you Shazam it? I had to Shazam it. I did. I did have to Shazam it. I did. (laughs) But I'm like, is this music playing in the footage he's taking? Or did they insert this? 
I think they inserted it. Yes, and then it was crazy. I'm like, why is We Can Make It Tonight from Toto's 1986 album, Renegade, I think it was called, or something like that. Why is this a song that has been chosen for this documentary? It was wild. I wonder if, I mean, does it have anything to do with the fact that Toto played on Thriller? I don't know. I went and looked it up, wondering if she was singing on it or... Yeah, what kind of relationship they had to the song, I do not know what the hell was going on. It was so weird. I will tell you, you did miss another song that was not oh, hers. Oh, I did? Yep. Mm-hmm. So it was playing during the footage of her rehearsing her dancers for the Velvet Rope Tour. Mm-hmm. And this came up, I saw it on Twitter. It was our friend Saida Garrett who <gasps> oh. tweeted it. Yes. Saida Garrett says... I was pleasantly surprised to hear my music in the Janet Jackson documentary. She chose the Jay Dilla remix of my song Sometimes with the brand new heavies. Because she sang for the brand new heavies in the 90s. Yeah. And I guess Janet liked it. Or her dancers did. Wow, Saida. You got an ear gold, lady. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk about the big incident. Do we have to? Well, let, we don't have to talk about it at length, but I didn't get any questions answered about the Super Bowl incident. That really frustrated me because I think Janet has been, you know, mistreated over that incident for years and it's just disgusting what happened to her and the way that she took the fall for that. Whatever. Everyone knows all that that I'm talking about. And she didn't even hardly acknowledge it. And again, she gets to choose what she wants to talk about, but it's like, it was just this big, huge thing that you can't just pretend didn't happen. And there was this really frustrating, to me, footage in there that was obviously inserted at like the very last minute. It even was Chiron like January 2022. And it was her like basically saying like, please... Don't attack Justin Timberlake anymore. He's my dear friend and blah, blah, blah. We don't have to attack Justin Timberlake, but we do have to attack all of the people that allowed Justin Timberlake to walk away from this Mm scot-free. And, you know, he's complicit in that. He really is. And he knows that, too, at this point. And the fact that he won't come out and just plainly acknowledge that is disgusting. Telling, yeah. And as my husband said, he's like, why is she holding the camera as she films this? Does (laughs) she not have anyone there that could do this for her? I know. I don't know. But that was really, really frustrating to me. Again, you know, she gets to talk about whatever she wants to talk about. And maybe she's just ready to move on from that. But it's kind of like, you know what, you just can't make this documentary without telling us how you felt about that. And she just really honestly never does. It was rumored that Justin would appear and make some comment, but oh, really? I guess I'm glad for your sake he didn't, because <laughs> it would not have gone well for him. No, and I didn't want to watch... Did you ever watch the special nope. on Hulu? Mm-mm. No, it looked so... No. Well, Mm-mm. see, that's the thing. I never... I didn't want to watch it, because I didn't want to play into the salaciousness of it. Now you want to watch I it. I want to watch it just to try to get some f***ing answers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, I want the real story. Why Janet was crucified for it. Even if we're not getting it after this, which we're not, right? Because that was her chance and it's, it's gone. Yeah. You still see this groundswell of support for her 
And why did she not have her career for the last 16 years? And what did the media do to her? And what did Mm -hmm. the public do to her? And she deserves her flowers now and has always deserved them. Mm -hmm. She blew up on Twitter. She blew up on the iTunes chart in sales. Um, You know, not just her greatest hits, but her seminal albums. Good. Keep it going. You know, she's got to work this into something big for her career because I think she needs something. I think she could do something. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it seems right now she's in mom mode. And if that's what she wants, then good for her. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, I'm surprised this didn't tie into a release or, you know, new music or anything. We had joked about the fact that, like, it was supposedly tied to, like, the 40th anniversary of her first albums. Which she's disowned. (laughs) Yeah, but they didn't even, like, re-release them or, you know, put out special editions or anything like that. So it's a little bizarre. But you know what? I'm willing to move past this all now and just say I just want the best for Janet. And whatever she wants, give it to her. If she wants to disappear and never talk to us again, that's fine with me. But I hope that she comes back and gives us something in the future. So after all that and all of our complaints, what do you think? Five stars out of five? (laughs) It was extremely enjoyable. Four hours that flew by, so much information that I had just simply forgotten. I mean, we didn't even get into so much of it. Just like the Jackson's Variety Show from the 70s that (laughs) I have vague memories of seeing clips of over the years. Or the record-breaking Rhythm Nation tour. Yes, yes. The failed Coke endorsement deal. I don't even remember that happening and falling through in the 90s. I think it was still in, you know, it was just about to be announced when Michael was accused and then she lost out on that. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if you haven't watched it, you got to watch it, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've dissected it for 20 minutes. (laughs) There's plenty of stuff we didn't discuss, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did get into half of it. Loved three-fourths of it. Anyways, we have talked for a good a portion of time about Janet. Why don't we talk about some of the other members of the Jackson family? There's other Jacksons? <laughs> yes, there's many Jeez. of them. And uh, a lot that hit the charts, but were not as successful as Janet, Michael, and Jermaine. Yes, folks, remember Jermaine had a ton of pop and R&B hits. Do not sleep on Jermaine. <laughs> Do not. Do not. We are going to start with eldest sibling, Rebe. She was omnipresent in the special. She even commented on rumors that she raised the alleged love child of Janet and James DeBarge. That was completely debunked. Mm-hmm. But she had a career of her own. We covered her in a quiz on One Hit Wonders back in episode 75. But let's dig deeper. Rebe was basically the second mother to most of the Jackson siblings. She was already 16 when Janet was born. And she married her childhood sweetheart at the age of 18, in part because she wanted to leave the controlling Jackson home. Hmm. Familiar story. Sounds familiar. (laughs) That's what happened with Janet. Well, Joe wanted her to follow in her brother's footsteps and become a singer, She returned to the fold about six years later when she performed on stage for the first time in the Jackson's show in Las Vegas. That began in 1974. Rebe was 24 and already had a three-year-old daughter. She also was a part of the CBS variety show The Jacksons, which aired for a year starting in summer of 1976. 
I had completely forgotten about that show <laughs> until they were showing clips of it in the special. And I was like, oh, yes, hello. I remember you. I had never even seen it before. Oh, really? I don't yeah. know why. I think I've watched a bunch of specials over the years about Michael Jackson or the Jackson family, and they're always showing clips from that, I guess, is what I remember it from. Well, here we have a clip of the Jackson girls performing together. First, you'll hear Rebe, then Janet, then LaToya. Of all the boys I've known, and I've known some. Till I first met you, I was lonesome. And when you came inside, dear, my heart grew light. And this whole world seems It was the Jacksons variety show that really inspired Rebe to pursue an actual singing career. She sang backup for artists like The Emotions and Betty Wright before she got pregnant again in early 1977 and had to pause. But she signed as a solo artist to Columbia Records in 1982 and then took two years to complete her first album. Centipede was the biggest hit, written and produced by Michael. It went to 24 on the Hot 100 and 4 on the R&B chart. It was her only single to reach the Hot 100, but Rebe hit the R&B chart six more times. What do you think about Centipede, Joe? Centipede is great. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I really like it. It's funky. Uh-huh. That synth line is everything. Yes. Do I hear Michael on there at all? Oh, yeah, Singing, that's him. Yelling Centipede. That's him yelling Centipede, so. yes. This is a great one, and not to spoil the rest, but to me, the best of the bunch. Mm, interesting. I don't know about that, but yeah, it's up there. Yeah, Centipede is definitely one you hear on countdowns and, you know, one that... That's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's true, I guess. It should get played more. We'll talk more about Rebe as we go on here. In 1988, Rebe released her third album, R U. And those are the letters, are you? Tough Enough, <laughs> both of those spelled with two Fs, which had a more edgier sound than her previous two. The single Plaything peaked at eight on the R&B chart. Magazine's review of the album called it such a blank sounding snore that if dopey spelling is going to be insisted on, it might have been called Noise R Us. Capital R. That is a sick burn by people. (laughs) But also, when has People Magazine ever been so cruel? Wasn't Uh, their whole thing to just basically kiss celebrity ass? Yeah, but it was like in their picks and pans, like they, they would pick one album like every three months to just absolutely decimate. Don't you remember when I sent you that 
<laughs> screenshot. <laughs> they reviewed Sheena Easton's The Lover in Me, and they said something like, why would someone with such a beautiful voice resort to being one of Prince's sex kittens? I guess oh. this album's okay if you're the kind of guy who likes to drive a Maserati like a snowplow or turn a filet mignon into a hamburger. What the hell? Jeez. That's too much. Although plaything, yeah, it's kind of a snore, but it's too much. I don't think Rebe has it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like her voice is just strange to me. Like especially on this plaything, like her voice is pointed. I don't know how else to say it. It's it's almost grating. To me, this song gave me such Janet control vibes. Like it sounded like mm. "What have you done for me lately?" Yeah, and had that same kind of beat. And I thought, wow, she's just copying. Yeah, I think she was trying to capture the vibe that R&B ladies were going at that point. And I don't think that was for her. She was an older lady at this point. She was a mom. She should have been singing torch songs and ballads. (laughs) I mean, this song should have gone to Pebbles or... Oh, yeah. She would have done great things with it. Yeah. Well, Rebe released one more album in 1998 on Michael's record label. And she stayed married to her sweetheart until his death in 2013. Hmm. So Rebe looked great (laughs) in the documentary. Oh, yeah. On the documentary. She was like the narrator. She had more screen time than Janet. (laughs) You're right. She had like 30 times more screen time than Paula Abdul, who cried a lot. It was so sad. (laughs) But Carrie, here's the burning question. Mm -hmm. Why is this pronounced Rebe? Oh, I don't know. It's spelled Rebby. It drives me nuts. Well, that's true. <laughs> but it's definitely Rebby, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. They all said Rebby yeah. over and over and over. But but why? I There's two know. Bs. You can't <laughs> ignore the two Bs. I have a weird question. I wanted to bring this up. Weirder than that? Okay. <laughs> Maybe you noticed it. A lot of the siblings were included. And Randy, who is Janet's manager now, and Janet were always having conversations. They were the two that were together. together. Yeah. In the same room. Yeah. Yes. The documentary starts with them going back to their childhood home. So this entire time when Randy is reminding Janet about stories from the past because she was so young at that time, he keeps saying to her, your father did X. Your father did Y. Did you notice that? You know, I really didn't. But what I will tell you is that he's the older sibling, right? Yeah. I think that's somehow an older sibling thing. I'm just thinking of my brother who's always like, well, your mother did this and your mother did that. It was so weird to me. Like, this was the very start of the documentary. And I'm thinking to myself, do I misremember their history? Did they have different fathers? I don't think so. No, they don't. And so that's why I was like, what's going on? (laughs) I think it's an older sibling thing. And I can't explain it any further than I already have. But I'm used to it. (laughs) Okay. All right. You and your sister are only like, what, four years apart? We're two and a half years apart. I knew that. I was rounding up. (laughs) She's never said anything like that to me. Carrie? Mm Mm-hmm? Let's talk LaToya. (laughs) I'm ready. Well, you know, she didn't appear in the Janet documentary, except in archival footage. She was the fifth Jackson, six years younger than Rebe, and two years older than Michael, ten years older than Janet. She also started her career in the Vegas show and on the Variety Show, 
And after that, she began work on a solo album and dated Bobby DeBarge. What? Yes. James's brother? Yes. What is happening? <laughs> Did you notice the only footage of James on the documentary? It looked like it was from behind the music from like 98, mm-hmm. right? It was weird. I meant to look him up. Is he still with us? I did. Yeah, you know, I thought, well, they're going to wait till part two to tell us that he passed, but he's still with us. Oh. But the most recent footnotes in his biography are that he had been arrested for drug and weapons charges in 2012. Oh, poor him. Poor James. I know, I know. LaToya was apparently the inspiration for a previous song we covered on Just a Bit Outside, the song I Call Your Name by Switch, that one peaked at number 83 in early 1980. LaToya released her debut album in 1980, and she wanted to leave Jackson off of it and just use her first name, but Joe insisted. (laughs) (laughs) And what he said went... Oh, for sure. The second single was Nighttime Lover, which LaToya co-wrote with Michael. Not weird at all. (laughs) He produced it and he sings with her on the track. Getting weirder. The two had originally written the song for Donna Summer. Bobby DeBarge, who LaToya was still dating, wrote the song You and I in response. Its lyrics say, I was listening to the radio the other day, and I heard the words that you said that I'm your nighttime lover. Bobby, buy a journal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he really needed to stop with the LaToya stuff, like write about something else. Yeah. Nighttime Lover peaked at number 59 on the R&B chart. Four years later, LaToya had her one and only Hot 100 charter with Heart Don't Lie. That's Howard Hewitt of Shalimar singing lead with LaToya. And that's Musical Youth on Backup. What a lineup. Mm -hmm. The song reached 56 on the Hot 100 and 29 on the R&B chart. And LaToya sports one of her signature leather headbands in the video. It was around this time that she signed an exclusive deal with leather maker, that's a word, (laughs) David Lorenz, and began wearing only his clothing in public appearances But Carrie, the rest of LaToya's story is very dark. She was abused by her husband, who was also her manager, and she became estranged from her family for some time. But she is a survivor, and she appeared on The Masked Singer in 2019. I don't mind Nighttime Lover. I think it's fun. You don't like it? (laughs) Do you like the Bee Gees? I guess. Okay. It's so Bee Gees to me that I was like, I'm not into it at all. I wanted to, but Mm -hmm. no, no, no. She's completely drowned out by Michael on that track, though, which is Mm -hmm. kind of sad. I get that Michael was going to be on all of his sibling stuff for the most part. And that's fine. I appreciate that he wanted to help him out and 
But this is just too much. It's a Michael song. It's not a Latoya song. Uh, I guess that's why I don't like it. But Heart Don't Lie was the winner for me. I was really into it, you know, kind of dancing around in my seat. And then I realized that I can absolutely see why RuPaul is so into Latoya Jackson's music (laughs) and is always referencing it because this song is camp. Okay. You know what? Now that you said that, I was just about to say, I hate this song more than I've hated a song that we've (laughs) done in so long. But now that you said that, like, yes, I can just flip a switch and appreciate it like that. But when I was listening to it, trying to think about this song being on the Hot 100 chart, I was like, this is garbage. I know it's supposed to be, but it's like written from the perspective of children. I'm just like, no. (laughs) So (laughs) now that you're saying that, I can take it with a grain of salt. I so verily, (laughs) wait, verily, I so rarely change Carrie's opinion on anything. It's a big win for me. That's true. That's true. But I also think about this one, it's kind of funny that it's like, you know, a lot of it is not LaToya either. It's the musical youth and it's Howard Hewitt. I'm just kind of like, let LaToya have her moment. I'm curious to know where she stands now with her family. I mean, that was, like we said, she wasn't in the documentary. Real, real bad stuff she went through. Mm -hmm. And I hope that she's been able to get back together and reconcile with her family. I hope she's doing well. Same. Yeah. Let's move on. And up next, we've got Marlon. He's the sixth child, one year younger than LaToya. And I did not know this, Marlon had a twin brother, Brandon, who died shortly after birth. Oh, wow, I did not know that. He was part of the Jackson Five, which became the Jacksons after they left Motown in 1976. The 1984 album Victory was credited to the Jacksons, but it was essentially a collection of solo songs by each of the brothers. Marlon wrote and sang lead on the song Body. Released as the third and final single from the album, Body peaked at 47 on the Hot 100 and 39 on the R&B chart. Joe, I want that body, baby, you got that body. Okay, I'm so glad you sang it just like that because this is Wanna Be Starting Something. Oh my God, is that what it is? I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what does this song sound like? Oh man, (laughs) I still love it. I been obsessed wow. with this song this week. So this is your pick of the the litter. Yes, this is okay. the gold star for me. So infectious. I could not stop singing it to myself. I mean, I don't think Marlon has a very strong voice either, but I was really into it. Sorry. Well, after that album, Michael abandoned the Jacksons once and for all in pursuit of his solo career, and guess what? Marlon did the same. Was he as successful? I I think you know the answer is no. In 1986, he had a song called The Chosen One on the Golden Child soundtrack. 
Have we talked about Golden Child? If you and I have not on the podcast, maybe in real life, because that was a tape we had oh, and wore yeah. out. <laughs> So good, right? That was definitely one we got from the store over and over again. But I don't even remember much of it. Here's what I'll tell you I remember. Eddie Murphy trying to start a car. He didn't have the keys. The golden child touched the ignition and it started. And Eddie goes, we're going to be okay. And the golden child, in like the one moment they speak in the whole movie, goes, I know. And one other thing, I didn't even know we were going to talk about this. The woman from the movie, I think her name was Charlotte Lewis? I don't know. Uh, The only other time I saw her on screen, she was on Seinfeld as, I think, George's girlfriend. And he was trying to prove that she was throwing up after dinner, but she wasn't. Do you remember that one? No, I don't. That show was dark. (laughs) It was. Yeah, the only thing I remember from The Golden Child is when they make him eat that oatmeal that's got blood in it. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, that's so gross. Why would I watch a movie like that? Ew. <laughs> I remembered it because it was so gross, I guess. It was like something about that's how they were trying to keep the golden child down or something. Like that. Don't you remember Eddie Murphy had that like obstacle course where he had to jump from pillar to pillar yeah. to get that special dagger? Yes, I vaguely remember that. And he couldn't spill the water. Yes. Ugh, we have to watch this one again. Okay, we're going to watch this. All right, this. Yeah. <laughs> sorry for that golden child digression. Well, in 1987, Marlon released his one and only solo album titled Baby Tonight. The second single, Don't Go, went all the way to number two on the R&B chart. Think I'm gonna just stick it down and let you walk And uh, Marlon's daughters, Valencia and Brittany, sing back up on the album. They were in their early 20s at the time. Damn, he old. <laughs> you know, always there's always more Jacksons waiting in the wings. Don't go. It's not unpleasant, but it's not really something I would seek out. And then I also thought it really didn't have that Jackson sound. Yeah. Which, don't ask me to describe it because I can't. It just didn't have it. Yeah, it didn't have it for me either. It didn't stand out to me. I was shocked it went to number two on the R&B chart. Well, those are the Jacksons in your neighborhood, Joe. (laughs) 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 But we didn't even cover all of them either. Jeez, we did like an eighth of them. (laughs) Who would you like to see get a documentary next out of the ones we discussed? Oh, initially, I was going to say LaToya, because I think she's had the most interesting life, but there's too much dark stuff in it, which I will say that someone took the time to go on her Wikipedia and just detailed the nastiest stuff that happened to her in her marriage, which I mean, they must have taken from her biography or something like that. But like, this is the bulk of her page, and it's disgusting to me. So I guess I would want to see a documentary about LaToya if she got to choose what she talked about and gave very short shrift to that stuff if it's not something she wants to relive. What about you? I just Googled her and the first question that came up that people ask, is LaToya Jackson a police officer? (laughs) 
I guess she was on that reality TV show, Armed and Famous. Yes. She went through basic training to serve as a reserve police officer in Muncie. Good for her. Good for you, Latoya. <laughs> and she maintains her badge by continuing to volunteer as a deputy. You know what? She can arrest me anytime. <laughs> Watch out, Muncie. You hear a knock on the door? That's Latoya. <laughs> Joe, we have one more segment. Oh, yeah. I love this one, and it's called... Just a bit outside. Carrie, this is the segment where we look at those songs that hit the Hot 100, but peaked just outside the top 40. So a song that peaked between number 41 and 100, those are fair game. We're trying to cover them all. Although we will fast forward a little bit later in 1980, uh, which is the year I think we're going to be on for the rest of our natural born lives, Carrie. Yes. (laughs) Because we want to bring you an entry by another famous sibling. So surprised this hit in 1980, honestly. The song is Case of You by Frank Stallone. I always thought Frank Stallone just rode Sly's coattails to a singing career. And I guess if we're honest, he really did. But he was actually a singer before his brother's acting career took off. In his teens, he was in a band called Valentine with somebody named John Oates. John Oates left the band pretty quickly. I wonder what happened to him. (laughs) Frank had some solo songs included on the Rocky and Rocky II soundtracks. And he released his first solo album, Heart and Souls, in 1980. Did you get a glimpse at that album art, Carrie? I did, indeed. A picture of a true sensitive soul, right? (laughs) Yes. He's holding an acoustic guitar and looking plaintively into the camera. Yeah, I think he's even sitting on a stool. Some classic singer-songwriter stuff. The first single from the album was the song Case of You. This, Joe, is a cover of a Joni Mitchell classic. Insane. I had no idea when I listened to it. Oh, my God. Uh. We're going to get into it. It was produced by Harry Nielsen. Why is Harry Uh. Nielsen working with Frank Stallone? Oh, somebody (sighs) got paid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) P-A-I-D. It spent six weeks on the Hot 100 and peaked at number 67 on October 18th, 1980. Joe, this song is garbage, and everyone involved should be punished. (laughs) I hate it so much. You know what, people? I'm very passionate about music. (laughs) And, you know, I don't want to say that there are songs that should not be covered, But I am going to say that A Case of You by Joni Mitchell from the seminal album Blue, you know, one of the most perfect albums of all time, one of the most perfect songs of all time. No one should try. Okay. You know who did try recently and who succeeded? (laughs) I'm defeating my own argument. But did you see? Who covered a Joni Mitchell song? No, this song. Did you see um, Noah Reed from Schitt's Creek who played Patrick on Schitt's Creek? Yeah. He covered this song. He covered it when Catherine O'Hara won some huge award in Canada. Like she was awarded like Canada's like, you know, queen, 
queen, whatever. Yeah. And he covered the song, and in the video, he was wearing a bunch of different wigs from. Oh, that's so <laughs> I, cute. I love gotta that. You've got to look it up. Okay, yeah, well. And that's the only reason I will allow it is because he obviously did it with great affection for Catherine O'Hara and for the character. But this is just a song that, you know what, leave it to the professionals. And Frank Stallone, my friend, you are not a professional. This Calypso version that he has done of the song is a crime. I'm infuriated about this. I'm angry. (laughs) I'll never stop being angry. And I just don't know what to do with myself. I was dumbfounded. And in my notes, I have the song title, the artist, and all I wrote was, it's over, yay. <laughs> it's real bad. I mean, oh, like, yeah. gosh. It's real bad. The fact that it was in the Hot 100 for six weeks. What a dark time in our nation's history. <laughs> Honestly. <sighs> All right. Well, in 1983, Frank would hit the top 10 with Far From Over, and then he would have one more Hot 100 single in 1984. Can't wait to get to that in just a bit outside. I changed my mind. I want to stay in 1980 forever. (laughs) Last year, there apparently was a documentary called Stallone colon Frank, that is. Uh, Okay. Are you (laughs) kidding me? No. And I can't wait to find that on Tubi in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that makes me ill. You know what? I just, I don't know much about Frank Sloan. I really don't. I honestly thought Sly Stone became an actor and then suddenly and then this said, guy Here's was my, like, yeah, yeah mm-hmm, right. which is not the case. It didn't help. Now that you know this, what are you going to do with it, right? Yeah. Nothing. He's garbage. <laughs> so Frank Stallone, there you go. <laughs> but we got to wrap it up. I know. That's one we can leave in the past and never speak of again. Well, hope you enjoyed our wrap-up of the Janet Jackson documentary. Next week, we review Stallone. Frank, that is. (laughs) We'll answer all the pressing questions like why and how. And why. (laughs) All right, for real next week, Joe, we're going to talk about some more R&B acts. Yep, I'm excited for that because we had some good songs last time, right? Yeah, we did. I made a list last night of the next ones, and I've got some really interesting folks on there. Again, some people I've never heard of. I'm like, look at this whole list of hits, and I've never Mm -hmm. heard this name before. So get ready for that. There's some gems, I'm sure. I'm excited. You take it out. I brought us in. You take it out. I will take us out. I will remind everyone, stay safe out there. Remember to always be kind to others, to the world. Most importantly, please be kind to yourself. Except Frank Stallone, go f*** yourself. (laughs) I can't believe you said that. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone, except Frank Stallone. We're going to have to put a Frank Stallone warning on this one so he doesn't listen. (laughs) All right, right, y'all. Thanks. Bye. Bye.